The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode 85. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make it so. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, a most anticipated episode of The Secrets of Star Trek where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And it's so anticipated because today we're discussing the series premiere of Star Trek Picard, uh, an episode titled Remembrance. Uh, that uh, wasn't on the episode itself, but we'll, we'll talk about that in a sec. Uh, Join me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well, thanks. Folks, if this is your first time listening or if you're a long-time listener but you're not yet subscribed, you can subscribe to the show in all the places where podcasts are available. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, your favorite podcast app like Overcast or PocketCast, and on the SQPN YouTube channel where if you do that, make sure you hit the bell to get notifications of the new episodes. So this is the very first episode of Star Trek Picard, this this second in the series that has been promised to us by the powers that be at CBS, the new Star Trek rolling out after Discovery. So let's just start off very quickly. What did you guys think of this? Jimmy, why don't you go first? I thought it was an unmitigated disaster. This is just another example of CBS Viacom and their poisonous Discovery era betrayal of Star Trek. This they just do not understand Star Trek. Star Trek is dead. Uh, this is just more of their woke scold SJW politicking. Who replaced Jimmy with some YouTuber? Yeah. Okay, so now that you've done your YouTuber impression, what do you really think? What do you really I think, Jimmy? I I thought it was great and i specifically went to some of the youtube channels that have taken that negative just can't please them no matter what tone to see what they made of this and they were like it's a step forward but it's still going to fall off a cliff in three episodes. <laughs> and so, and oh, so, man. One of them was like oh it's 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 better but it's not great yet so it's like they're being dragged, <laughs> oh. kicking and screaming into the not all Star Trek these days is horrible camp. I saw one uh, just uh, on this little tangent. I saw one like recommended video where it was Star Trek Picard in trouble. And I'm like, yeah. it's got one episode. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. How much trouble could it have? <laughs> I was gonna say, are these the same people that said that uh, Kurtzman is gone like two years ago and he's yes. still leading the show? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Fast, fascinating how often these people predict showrunners and similar figures are are being fired and departed, and they're still there after years. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so Jimmy, is that uh, do you have your? Your assessment is my assessment is I liked it. It was good. It, okay. And it was so it was so I mean, you know, there I can criticize things about it, but it was yeah. so good that I was like, how are the total negs going to be able <laughs> yeah. to spin this? So <laughs> the total negative people, how are they going to be able to 
deal with this. And 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 I was pleased to see that it that the ones I checked, you know, were willing to at least concede. I mean, if you hit them over the face with a good episode, they'll kind of <laughs> take note of the fact it was a good episode. <laughs> Father Corey, how about you? What's your your 10,000 foot level or um, I, low Earth orbit level of, uh, view? Of this? I, I'm, I'm with I'm with Jimmy on it. it. It was a very good episode. You know, it's definitely no encounter at Farpoint. That's for sure. Uh, <laughs> much better introduction to Picard than we had the first time we were introduced to him. Uh, yes. No, it was an excellent episode. I think it did a good job of getting the story set. You know, the, the storylines we're going to be looking at going forward. Um, it's just it, an enjoyable fact, episode. It's probably the best first episode of a series. You yes, literally took had. the words out of my mouth. Yes. Yes. I would agree with that. It is the and, best first episode of a series. And I do have to say, to begin with, number one is a good dog. <laughs> yes, uh, I was going to know later that uh, Patrick Stewart specifically requested that number one be a pit bull terrier. That uh, he mm-hmm. because he he, mm-hmm. he those he has pit bull terriers of his own, so he he particularly loves that breed. Uh, All, my, although the particular pit bull actor in this case was somewhat difficult to work with, I understand, and there was <laughs> more written for the for that character that didn't make it on screen because of that. Oh, interesting, Oops. interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, my my lower Earth orbit uh, view of the episode uh, so far, uh, you know, and the series so far with one episode, I, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it even more on a second viewing. Um, mm-hmm. it, it was, it hit all the right notes again. Like you said, Jimmy, there are, there are parts, there are bits to criticize, of course, as, as always, nothing's perfect. Um, but I, I'm really happy. Is this Star Trek? Does, I mean, let's, you know, from a, that viewpoint, it's, it's good TV, but does it feel like Star Trek to you? I think this is uh, it does to me. I think that this is one of the things that some people will pick on because they have this unrealistic and idea of uh, Star Trek always has to be optimistic and it always has to be the Federation has to be the white hats and the um, the Federation can't make mistakes. And so anytime you stray off that area, it's it's violating Gene Roddenberry's vision. And it, Gene Roddenberry's vision changed over time. His vision mm-hmm. for early next gen is not the same as his vision in the original series. And um, his early next gen vision is terrible. Oh, and right. if you if you if you if you want to make that the guiding characteristic of Star Trek, you'll kill the franchise. Right. right. Because well, you, I, you, I mean, think about how bad the first two seasons of Next right. Gen were. And right. that's not going to sustain a multi-decade franchise. Well, right. and I, I hate to say it, but remind people that TNG got better after Gene Roddenberry was no longer involved. Right. Yeah. Well, so and, and, and if you say that uh, Star, Star Trek always has to be optimistic and Starfleet has to be the White Hats, then you don't like DS9. That's for sure. See, I was yeah. that's what I was just going to say is <laughs> yeah. this is closer to DS9 than TNG. And of course, the three of us agree that DS9 is the best of at least the TNG era series. So, right. right. There's, we can see why we might like it. So the, my next question is, is how does Patrick Stewart do as Jean-Luc Picard? Like, how do you feel about. Is he once again Jean-Luc Picard for you in this episode? Father Corey? I, you know, I, I think it's interesting because one of the complaints I saw is, well, he looks so frail. And it's, that's the point. Mm-hmm. This is Jean-Luc Picard who had all but given up. This is Jean-Luc Picard who was just, as he said, he was just waiting to die. Yeah. But through the episode, you can see that energy start to come back. You can see that confidence starting to come back. 
you can see him kind of building back to, and I think maybe we'll see that more in the second episode, back to the Jean-Luc Picard we expect. Okay. Or at least something similar to the Jean-Luc Picard we expect. All right. And Jimmy? I I thought he 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 is John Luke Picard. He he's he's pulled that character back out. Um, but uh, I don't know that I saw as much physical energy building. The thing that really stood out for me is that moment when he and Dodge are running and he can't keep up. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and so I'll be I'll be interested to see does he get much physical energy back or was is that just a limitation that Patrick Stewart has at this point, mm. um, or was that an act? You know, because mm-hmm. he's he's an actor. Uh, by the way, I, I ran into a great quote from Nicholas Meyer, the director of uh, and writer of Wrath of Khan, among other mm. start uh, original series era movies. Uh, yesterday, I was watching his film, uh, The Seven Percent Solution, which is a Sherlock Holmes film. And in some of the bonus materials, he said the difference between an actor and a movie star is an actor pretends he's someone else and a movie star pretends someone else is him. Right. And mm-hmm. and I thought that nailed it pretty well. And Patrick Stewart is an actor. Yeah. He pretends yes. he's someone else. He doesn't just have his own persona and pretend other people are like that. So he could have been, you know, coming on as more frail than he actually is. Um, and I'll be interested to see, you know, what he's able to do physically in this series. I'm not looking for him to be an action hero and do be doing backflips or, you know, Geordie rolls or things like that. But <laughs> um but I, I, I would I, I, I would hope in, in any event, it may not be realistic, but I would hope that he can, you know, display physical energy in a lower key way. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that he's not going to be constantly hobbled by the kind of frailness he showed in that right. one running scene. Now, now, to be fair, he is 79 going on 80. So, I mean, right. He, yeah, right. he's. he's He's got but, some physical issues, I'm sure. I'm sure. But with with Hollywood movie magic, you know, I'm hoping they can make him look like he's got energy yeah. um, well, up to a point. Yeah, there is the, one scene where he seems to be bulletproof. We'll talk about that when we get to it. But yeah. 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 <laughs> also, um, I like the fact that they didn't have him come across as just cynical and jaded mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um this was a big concern of mine one of my favorite movies of all time is uh larry blamire's the lost skeleton of cadaver mm-hmm. which is a send-up of 1950s b movies and it focuses on this character named dr paul armstrong who is the 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 most innocent a uh, scientist interested in doing science that you can ever imagine because he's going to make <laughs> important discoveries that could benefit the field of science. And and he's he's just incredibly innocent and childlike and awesome. And I love the Paul Armstrong character. And then uh, Larry Blamire, who I really like and I'm friends with him on Twitter, but he made a sequel called The Lost Skeleton Returns Again, and he wanted to see Dr. Paul Armstrong at a very different place in his life, so he's like retired to the jungle and become jaded and cynical. And it's like, no, that's not what I liked about Paul Armstrong. Right. And in the same way, I was afraid they were going to do that to Captain Picard here, and they didn't. He is at an unhappy place in his life, but he's not jaded and cynical. He's not like bitter and given up. As soon as Dodge is like, I need help. He's like, OK, let's talk about this. That that it sort of uh, 
busts the the Hollywood uh, idea where the, yeah, that whenever you have like these old characters bringing them back, recycling them, you let's turn them into old and jaded and cynical. And yeah, yeah. you're right, that gets tiresome. Yeah, uh, well, and here, here, here some, what they here, forgive me. Here, what they did was that he's always been John Luke Picard. He did have a cynical moment when yeah. he left Starfleet, mm-hmm. which uh, in some of the bonus materials. Uh, I saw the writer say or producer, whatever he is, say that that was a calculated risk that he failed. He was trying to get mm. Starfleet to do what he wanted by threatening to quit. And they called his bluff. Right. And but he's still really secretly been wanting to do good in the world all this time. And right. now is his opportunity to get back in the saddle. And that's the kind of difficult place later in life type of character development that I want to see. Right. Well, and there, I mean, because I know there was a, a great fear. When Picard in interview, or excuse me, Patrick, Patrick Stewart <laughs> in interviews was saying, um, oh, this is going to be a different Jean-Luc Picard than you're used to. This, you know, this, this is going to be a different, different person in a different state of life. And everybody immediately thought, OK, like like you said, you know, we're going to have to have the, the jaded, cynical life is too hard. And so. Curse God and die type character instead of, you know, the Jean-Luc Picard that he grew into and that people came to love throughout the, the run of TNG. Deft allusion to the book of Job there, father. You're, yeah. <laughs> I had to throw it in. By the way, if you want to feel old, uh, Will Wheaton, who played Wesley Crusher is just yeah. about the same age that Patrick Stewart was when he was first Captain Picard. <laughs> <laughs> so feeling old really? today. <laughs> I think a couple years off. There's a couple years difference. Um, wow. So yeah. Also speaking of him, they hired him to do the new season of the ready room, which is the back behind the scenes um, after show for this. And Will Wheaton? they're, yeah. they're Will Wheaton and oh. they're putting it up on YouTube for free. So you can watch it there after every episode. Oh, I'll have to check it out. I didn't know about that. Awesome. So uh, one more sort of uh, overview sort of thing, uh, the 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 theme music, the theme music for Star Trek is very important. It, it's, it has been polarizing over the years, uh, a la Enterprise. <laughs> uh, I really, really liked the theme music and the opening for this yeah. uh, series and the, 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 the episode we got. I, I felt like it was appropriate. I mean, it was new. It was different, but it had the callbacks. I love the vi- the viola that they use, the stringed instrument that they to start off the the song. Perfect. So that's my take on the mm. on the theme music. I, I always like theme music. Interesting. My favorite part of the of the opening credits is the skip opening credits button. <laughs> <laughs> I always love it when that's there. Yeah. Well, I always watch the first one at least. I gotta at least watch mm-hmm. it one time, and then yes, I, I gotta. Yeah, there's that poor guy who has to make opening credits, you know, and he's it's like, hey, and then he see, then Netflix and the other guys introduce start, you know, skip intro, and like it's like oh, my my life is ruined. <laughs> so, uh, so much of this episode, at least, takes place on location or outdoors, not in space. Does that mm-hmm. affect how it feels like Trek to you? I mean, for me, it felt very different from most Star Trek that I'm used to. What do you think? I think. I wonder if that was a conscious choice only because, again, you know, he pulled out of Starfleet. He pulled out, you know, pulled back to his his vineyards, which I thought the vineyard scenes were absolutely beautiful, I yep. mean, beautifully shot, just beautiful scenery and everything. Wow. And I think that was a conscious wow, choice. Is there, is there like a hideous locust plague in the 24th century, though? They've constantly got those insecticide sprayers going. <laughs> yes. I figured those were just water. But <laughs> grapes don't need that much water. In fact, the less <laughs> water falls. is the better for growing wine grapes. But somebody wanted some robotic thing in the uh, in There, the there had to be something flying around spraying something. Yes, yes. But <laughs> no, I just, I mean, I thought, and I, I think 
again, I think maybe that was a conscious choice, but it start, of course, it starts to get more Star Trekky as he goes to actual Starfleet Command or the yeah. Starfleet uh, Museum Archive. or whatever that was. Archives. Yes, the archives. Yeah, that's that's for sure. That's for sure. Um, all right, so let's let's get into the episode itself. It starts with uh, vistas of nebula in space. We have uh, the song "Blue Skies, Blue Skies" smiling at me, and then we have the Enterprise D, uh, which yep. is apparently the one Picard thinks most about when he's having a spoilers. It's a dream. He's having a dream, yep. and so he dreams of being on the on the D, which is which is interesting. And uh, he's playing poker with Data in Ten Forward, which was nice to see yeah. a set from the. And now, yeah. yeah, and by the by the way, Blue Skies by Irving Berlin is the last thing from Nemesis because Data yep. sings it at Troy and Picard's wedding, That's and right. then B Four is humming it as mm-hmm. as we go out in that movie. So it like picks up right where Nemesis left off. Well, and, and the point too is um, there's a. Couple of connections, of course. There's blue skies where Data is saying that in Nemesis, but also the uniform that Data is wearing is the Nemesis uniform, not the TNG on the Enterprise D uniform, which we will so see later. Later, yeah. interesting. But it's it, so it's what what Picard is remembering is Data as he last saw him, right? And uh, they're playing poker. Um, there's a whole thing about Data's tell, which is an interesting idea because the the, the the idea of data bluffing and holding something back and Picard being able to tell, which is related to Dodge and, and, and the, the plot of the season. And, mm-hmm. and the, but the big thing is, is Picard saying, you know, like, wh- why are you, why are you delaying data system Picard? Because I, I don't want the game to end. He's living right. in this memory and doesn't want to move to the present. You know, he, he, he doesn't like the present. He prefers the past, which is a, it's a thing for older folks, right? I mean, so often right. we prefer the, the 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 what we remember of the past, that nostalgia, and then he goes. It, it, yeah. it also speaks to Picard. Is he never he never wanted to leave Starfleet? This right. is where his heart is: is Starfleet and with Data and his Starfleet friends, and he wants to that life, but and that's why he's retreating back into it in his dreams. And and he goes and he says that you know. I'm all in, you know, and which is uh, I I feel like is also part of you know it's got a subtext. I'm all in. Picard is going to be all in at some point in this. Actually, in this episode, he goes all in mm-hmm. uh, on on whatever it is that Data is doing, and you know, and has done. And then the dream ends with um, well, Data has five queens in his hand, and I'm right. curious about that. That's five, not queen of possible. hearts, right? Queen of yeah. hearts, not even just five queens. Unless five. you're playing with five decks, there's no way for, to get that hand. So, right. Yeah. So that it has some symbolic meaning. The Queen of Hearts maybe has to do with mm-hmm. Dodge and oh, how, what was the sister's name? The um, Betty. Betty. Be- let's call her Betty. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so and then we have the the Mars attack outside the window. Remember that Mars attack that we first saw in the uh, short track, uh, the mm-hmm. last short track. And uh, I saw he, that movie back in the nineties, <laughs> Mars Attack. Yeah, Mars Attack. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes uh, the, the, with the brains. It, and it turns out um, it was a dream, a nightmare. He wakes up. Um, he's got his pit bull named Number One, as we mentioned uh, at Chateau Picard. I wonder what what Riker thinks of <laughs> the pit bull. <laughs> the one that Riker's been told. Yeah, yeah that should exactly. be fun. Uh, and so we have uh, Picard at the at the sh- at his chateau that we have have seen before in TNG 
and he is apparently retired too. And then we go to Boston in the 24th century. Woohoo! It's Boston. It's my hometown. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I did not recognize any of the buildings, so I'm not sure how much of Boston uh, rem- of, that I know remains in the 24th century. Although I did see uh, on one of the buildings, it looked like there was a Cardassian symbol being yes. projected on it. Was that was I right? That's what it looked like. Or it, it was an alien symbol of some sort. I don't know, remember if it was Cardassian or not, but yeah. I, I thought it was Cardassian. The the geography, the harbor shape looked right. So it, it, it was Boston. Um, and we have this young woman who's in the, an apartment with her boyfriend uh, for a date. She tells him that she got into the Daystrom Institute, which is a callback to the original series. Daystrom mm-hmm. was the inventor of the uh, the computers, the M5 computer and and uh, those other things. So Daystrom is a is a is actually a part of the greater Star Trek canon. Um, she's going to she got a fellowship in artificial intelligence and quantum consciousness, which is relevant. And did you notice what species her boyfriend is? Uh, she mentions it. What? Which one? What's yeah? He's the, the same as Paul. Yeah, the same from, as Paul from the short trek. Oh, yeah, right. the special dilithium planet. Okay, that, but yeah, that's, that that's why he has the interesting shapes on his face and the weird eyes and stuff because it's yep. that same race from Discovery. Okay, he's got they get the nictitating, uh, however you say, it, uh, uh, eye eyelids that go sideways mm-hmm. and up and down. Oh, okay. That's why that looked familiar. Cool. Um, well, she makes him guess, you know, what her what her news is. And he guesses you have a secret, which, you know, yes, she does. (laughs) (laughs) You just don't realize what it is. And so uh, their date is interrupted when these attackers beam into her apartment. Ninjas show up. I hate when that happens on a date. Oh, man. So many times. Uh, Usually it happens when I've gone to the bathroom and I come back and she's gone. Uh, and later on, she'll tell me it was ninjas came and she had to run. Uh, so oh, that was yeah. well, luckily yeah. uh, I got married Terrible. and now I don't have to worry about ninjas attacking my date. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, Too many jokes. So the attackers beam in. They throw a knife right into the boyfriend's chest. Uh, unfortunately, is apparently there's a vital organ in the same place that there is on humans. And this was out, pulling me out of the episode a little bit because after so she suddenly becomes all River Tam from uh, mm-hmm. Serenity, Serenity. Yep. and yep. and knocks out the uh, people and the ninjas and forces them to flee and stuff or whatever. And then in, she she just does not take her boy to the hospital or call 911 or anything. And it's like. I don't know what organ he's got there, but in a human, that would be a heart. And as they say in Young Frankenstein, hearts and kidneys are tinker toys. Um, (laughs) You know, Captain Picard was stabbed through the heart as a young man and they just gave him a new one. So your boyfriend is totally savable here. Maybe he's not dead. (laughs) Right. Uh, So, uh, yeah, so she... She goes the ninja style back on them. They they say in a alien language she hasn't activated yet. And then she activates. And like you said, she yep. goes River Tam on them and, and kills them. And then she she apparently runs. And then we're back to Picard, back at the chateau, uh, with the dog. He speaks French. Picard speaks yep. French. Has he ever spoken French? He must have. He said murder, but murder, but that's it. <laughs> okay. Mm. Uh so he's uh Picard speaking French to the dog. Uh, and we have some Romulans who are working for Picard at the Chateau. Yep. Uh, they turn out to be the same Romulans from the yes. beginning of the Picard countdown uh, comic book. That yeah. Parsons Zabin. 
Yeah, so they're they're for for people who haven't read the comic books yet, um, and the third of three is about to come out this week. Yeah, um, but the um, they're former Tal Shiar agents who have become sensitive to some of the human or sentient rights violations that uh, the Empire has gotten up to, and so they sided with Picard at a crucial moment. Right. Yeah. The the Picard countdown uh, comic books tell is a sort of prequel. Which tells the story of the what, the events that happened with Romulus and how Picard tried to save the Romulans uh, that that came up in this. So uh, I, I I love seeing the day to day life stuff, the the how a kitchen works in the twenty fourth century, like how people imagine. Yeah. I, I love that sort of idea uh, of, of how things like that work. So it was fun seeing that. Um, and but Picard has this uh, media interview. He's got a reporter coming. He he doesn't do interviews, but now he's going to do it because it's the tenth anniversary. Of the Romulan supernova. Now, did they say 10th or they just said the anniversary of? Uh, at some point, someone says it's been 10 years. Okay. Uh, maybe you, since it's maybe yeah, his I'm, resignation. I missed, I missed that. I, they, I, just, yeah. I thought they kept it kind of purposely vague so that it would be, uh, you know, a, a un, indefinite period of time, but it's an anniversary. I, I think it's the 10th, especially since the, the Romulan supernova is the event that this timeline of Star Trek shares with the J.J. Abrams timeline, right? Correct. That's Spock right. tried to stop it. And that was 10 years ago in our time that movie came out. So right. I think they're sticking would with that. It makes sense. No, it yeah. would make sense. Also, and this is something that some people in fandom have snagged on, the the interviewer refers to it as the Romulan supernova, and people have been saying, but wait, in the comic books for that movie, it's mm-hmm. referred to as the Hobus system that goes supernova, not the Romulan system. And it's like, yeah, she just means the supernova that affected the Romulan yeah, empire. She, right. She's not she talking said about Romulan's, the exact star. She said the Romulan son didn't, speci- the, didn't specifically say Romulus's son. Right. right. Which the son Romulan in the Romulan? Yeah. Yeah. Also, the something that I thought was interesting that I didn't catch on the first watch was she's you know, she has this Cold War vibe going mm-hmm. where uh, it's like, you know, you're saving Russian lives here. Right. Yeah. And 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 so she's 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 trying to pin him down on like, you know, you're being sort of sketchily unpatriotic. You know, you're putting wanting to put our interests above or our enemies interests above ours. You wanted to save Romulan lives. And he corrects her and just says lives. Yeah. And when on the first watch. I took that to mean he's making the point that Romulan lives are lives too. So mm-hmm. Romulan lives matter. And and but then I saw someone else point out wait in the comics for this in the Star Trek Picard countdown it's not just Romulan lives he's trying to save there's that other alien race on on the on a Romulan colony planet that he's trying to save. Right. And so that may have been what was intended by the writers for that line. That it wasn't yeah. just, he's not more, just making the point that Romulans have lives too. It's, right. it's actually more than Romulan lives. Yeah, absolutely. That's, and that's, I think that's kind of the point because Starfleet, of course, one of their missions is to save all lives, you know, regardless right. of what race they are, regardless of what planet they're from, you know, is to respect all sentient life. And right. I think that, like you said, that's the point he's trying to make is, no, we we were there to save everybody who was at risk, not just a particular race. And she compares the effort to save all of the Romulans, the 900 million Romulans 
uh, she compares it to the construction of the Great Pyramids. But he uh, he says, no, no, that was just a, a, a you know, a, a vanity project for yeah. <laughs> Egyptian pharaohs. Well, this is like Dunkirk, which. Yeah. Because so, he's a historian, you know, he knows. You know, the the uh, the pyramids, the, the point was this is just a major undertaking. You know, right. the pyramids are considered to be one of the greatest undertakings in human history because of the, the primitive yeah. labor and everything that they had. But of course, Dunkirk is that that the uh, the movie that just came out right. uh, a couple of years ago. But it's that that uh, evacuation of troops from France when they were trapped in this massive evacuation. Yeah, they were trapped against the sea and it was the largest it was the largest sea lift evacuation in history until you know when you know when actually the largest now is is mm. until 9-11 when the movement of people from Manhattan Island across the 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 harbor across to mm. New Jersey and up in other parts of New York uh that became the largest sea evacuation in history uh, it's interesting. very interesting as as a as a historian i thought picard was like a little down on the whole pyramid thing it's like come on dude pyramids are a way cool <laughs> yeah. and and b you should have enough respect for other people's culture it's like hey i know about both dunkirk and the pyramids and they're both impressive achievements i think exactly. the idea was uh, i think he was responding to her implication that the pyramids the, you know the pyramids were built as a tomb for a, a guy and mm -hmm. so it's one man's monumental effort in oh, a come sense. Come on, we all know they're plat landing platforms for alien <laughs> spaceships. Yep. Well, by the 24th century, maybe they know that. And that's that's maybe there's a subtext we don't know. <laughs> uh, so and then she connects it to. Well, so what happened? So there was this rogue synth attack, you know, synth as in a um, androids attack androids, on yeah. Mars that now we know it just it killed everyone on Mars. Ninety thousand people who are living on Mars. It burned the atmosphere. It still burns to this day, they say. And I want to know about that. I mean, how, what kind of atmospheric fire goes on for 10 years? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, what were they doing terraforming with uh, uh, methane in the atmosphere? Uh, so mm. they, the synths did it, but I think they were hijacking the relocation fleet. I think that's what she says. And uh, that and then attack destroyed Utopa Planitia shipyards. Uh, which we're not sure if Jordy was still there. He might still have been there. We, uh, the comic book says he was there. So that would be scary to think about that Jordy has, has, has died and that uh, everyone on Mars was killed. And that, uh, that attack then derailed the evacuation because the evacuate, because such a huge tragedy and disaster distracted Starfleet and said, we don't have time to take care of the Romulans anymore. We got to take care of our own thing. And mm. that's what got Picard so upset. And that's what, Perhaps why there are Romulan ninjas trying to kill the rogue a you know, the AI that we find out that Dodge and um, uh, Betty Soji. Aha, I remember yeah. Soji. Is. <laughs> I looked it up. I was going to mention it, but it's just so much fun calling her Betty. <laughs> we can call her. You can call me Betty. Uh, well, that's a callback to uh, Paul Simon. Paul Simon. <laughs> All right. So she, the reporter, asked Picard about this. He doesn't want to talk about it, and. Um, the attack on Mars led to a ban on synthetics. That's a key element of this series. And mm -hmm. uh, that's what l apparently led to his uh, res resignation from Starfleet. And uh, a, a key part of this uh, plot of the, you know, why this interview is important to the plot as in addition to exposition, the young woman, Dodge, sees the interview playing on a TV of the 24th century 
and then goes to see Picard at the chateau uh, the next day or whatever. And she approaches him and says, do you know me? You know, like like I, for some reason, I'm having an image of you in my head when I had this attack. Mm-hmm. So I came to you because somehow you're you're in my head. Uh, so th- that was uh, how that plays out. Although I got to say right before that, he P- Picard is sitting with the with number one, the dog and says there's no legacy as rich as honesty and asks the dog if he knows where that's from. Of course, it's from Shakespeare because it's Picard. Yep. <laughs> all's well that ends well. Act three, scene three. Thank you very much. There you go. Um, but uh, so this young woman, Dodge, goes to see Picard and tells him. Everything inside me says I'm safe with you. So apparently there's, you know, an imperative planted within her. Go to Picard when something if something goes wrong. Uh, He notices her necklace of interlocking rings and tells him her name is Dodge. Yeah. And he's like way too trusting of this apparently psychotic stalking young woman who admits (laughs) to him that she's just killed people. Yeah, I mean, the dog dog thinks she's okay. So, I I mean, dogs can be fooled when the FBI breaks into people's houses to plant bugs. They often have to deal with dogs and they'll like throw a ball to keep the dog distracted. They'll play fetch with the with the dog or they'll give it a piece (laughs) of meat or stuff like that to make friends with it. You can fool dogs. They are not super geniuses. No, they're not. But there's apparently animals. Yeah, there's apparently a subconscious memory in Picard, though, because he has this dream uh, next where he sees Data painting in the vineyard. This time they're wearing the, the TNG, early TNG era uniforms. Uh, mm-hmm. n- not the first two seasons, but after that. And uh, Data offers to let Picard finish this painting of a young woman. And Picard says, I don't know how. Data says, that's not true. And when he wakes, he turns and sees that painting on the wall. And sees it's missing the face, but he knows that there is a version of the painting with the face, which is the face of Dodge, which we'll see in a minute. Uh, So uh, I think there's a subconscious memory in Picard that makes him trusting of her for some reason. Yeah, if I had subconscious memories, I'm still not trusting someone, bringing (laughs) someone into my house who's just admitted they've killed people and don't know about it. And it's like, yeah. Or anyone who's just admitted they've killed people in the recent. Yeah. I mean, you're not coming no, in. Let me, you're not let me spending get the, the guest night. room for you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so the Dodge takes off. Uh, she doesn't stay the night. Uh, she she runs away. Um, Picard, after having this experience with the, the, the dream, goes to Starfleet Archives, which is really I love this scene. This is really cool. So Starfleet mm-hmm. has an archive. And where it's all, like the holocron from Star Star Wars. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And it's. Uh, Everything that is in the archive is quantum locked, which means that it it cannot age, cannot change, which I think every archivist in, in our current day would love to have. Exactly. And did, did they say quantum locked? I thought it, uh, what I took was they because it, it, it's really implausible that Picard would have his own room here on a full time basis with stuff that nobody has gone in and out of for years. Um, what I understood was that they've. They're using transporter technology to archive the data patterns mm-hmm. of everything in the archive, and then they regenerate it as needed. So, like, Picard had this exhibit room for him at the end of his service in Starfleet, and they archived everything in a transporter buffer somewhere on the quantum level. And now they've re-beamed in this room after all these years, and it's been locked in the interim, so no one's gotten in or out of it. No one's recreated this room in the interim. Uh, I think, what is it to say? Um, I, I'm 
Everything is locked in stasis, is what they say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's got to be quantum stasis since it's the quantum archive. Right. Yeah. I, I'm going to guess they keep things in some sort of, I don't know, because if, if you keep it in a buffer, you, you run the risk well, of the losing on, power and dying. Right, on, on a data crystal is what I mean. They've, they've got yeah. it stored on isolinear rods somewhere, but it's mm. stored in data form and then they, they beam it in as needed, which is a, a nice application of transporter technology. If we really had that, you could store things. Yeah, um, of course, on, that goes back to quantum archive. That goes back to our, our our old discussion about transporter technology. Would it really yeah. be the same thing if you if you just stored the data yeah. pattern? Yeah. <laughs> but, it's also nice to get to see Alexa in this episode. <laughs> exactly. <yes. laughs> yeah, with uh, with, with trying trying out a humor uh, a program with it, which didn't work. Yeah. As he says not as not job. as not as cute as Janet though. <laughs> right. Nope. <laughs> uh, I I have actually I kind of believe that they're like that certain figures, certain people, you know, history, you know, whether they're maybe even still living would have their own room. Like I, f- I feel like there'd be a, like a Kirk room with all of Kirk's stuff. Yeah, but if it's on display, if yeah. it was a museum and you were bringing people through here, sure. But just to have a room that nobody goes in for ten years, um, yeah, it, yeah, I'm, that, I'm, yeah. And it, it, since it's called quantum archives, I assume the word quantum is relevant there. Right. That yeah. They're they're doing stuff on the quantum level, the level of the really small of subatomic particles. Mm. Well, uh, it, in any case, wh- however that is, uh, we do go to this room and see a bunch of Easter eggs, fan Easter eggs. Oh, yep. yes. Um, there is uh, the captain's yacht, a model of the captain's yacht, a model yep. of the stargazer and uh, of the Enterprise E. E um, and D. E and oh. D. Okay, I didn't see the D. Uh, there's it a was, battle it, when he was when yeah, he was yeah. when he pulled out the painting. It showed a side view of him, and there was the D hanging on the wall. Oh, okay. Head down. I gotcha. Um, the Captain's Day banner, of course, uh, from from that uh, episode. I forget which what the episode was called, but there's an episode where it was Captain's Day, mm-hmm. and the kids made the banner for the him. Captain Picard Day. Yep. Yeah, Captain Picard Captain Day. Picard That's right. Day. Um, and uh, so a lot a lot of little Easter eggs. I'm sure if I went back through that. Uh, those scenes uh, with you know uh, with uh, frame by frame. Well, someone find someone some also also pointed out it had his uh, complete works of Shakespeare ah. the book open. It had a batleth, the a TNG batleth, not yep. the Discovery style batleth. Right. So. Uh, interesting. Yeah. So and, and then it also also had awards of thanks from Beta Z and the children of Tama. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, I saw hmm. the case full of awards, which was interesting. Uh, so then he retrieves this painting from the archives, which was really cool. It's kept in a special case that uh, keeps the, the atmosphere inside, you know, you know, as a neutral atmosphere uh, and opens it up. And it turns out it's another copy of that painting that Data had done. But this time the face is complete and it's Dodge and the painting is called Daughter. So um, mm-hmm. I, I thought it was actually kind of funny, though, that the dramatic choice of having Index, which was the hologram running the, the archive. Um, he has, he, he says, um, what is the name of this painting? And it has to take like three seconds, you know, or four seconds to pull it up, even though it just told him other d- information about the, the painting, like yeah. how slow are these interfaces in the 24th century? Come on. Well, and it's very, very Google or Alexa like too. where. So what is this painting painting by commander data for at, you know, John or part <laughs> yeah. of collection of Picard, Admiral John Luke is like, yeah, he's standing right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. 
we know it, that part. It's an oil on canvas. Uh, yeah. So he finds that. Then we get a shot of Paris, and uh, which still has old fashioned graffiti and old electrical connections on the buildings. <laughs> they, that's that's old Paris. And well, uh, well, we know we know from Voyager that they also have you know actors who pretend to pick your pockets. So I mean, why not? Right. Maybe it's part of the uh, ambiance of Paris. So uh, Dodge is in an alley. She calls her mom in Seattle on FaceTime, uh, and her mom. Which I'm I'm still trying to figure out whether this is actually someone she's lived with. How long has Dodge been in yeah. this mm. legend, this fake life? So m- mom is maybe a computer generated hologram or yeah. a real woman. They haven't established that yet. But right. whatever way it is, mom is clearly manipulating Dodge. Mom knows what's going on. She knows her daughter is an android and she's deliberately steering Dodge to go back to Picard. Right. Yes. Yes. Now, and also, now, also at this point, Dodge starts interacting with the interface at superhuman data like speeds, mm-hmm. thus revealing she is uh, indeed not a human. And, right. you know, you know, talk about we'll get more into this later, but, you know, with the ban on synthetics after the Mars attack, if that was 10 years ago, um, then you can assume that Dodge was is at most 10 years old because, you know, we'll talk about it later. But she they didn't mm-hmm. know she, she existed. Right. At the Daystrom Institute. Right. Exactly. Uh, yeah, it's so, yeah, I I had a feeling like the, the, that this woman is. Just sort of like a, she's like a, a someone that Dodge is supposed to be able to call in order to keep up her legend. You know what I mean? To keep, to keep this connection mm-hmm. to her. Right. Um, but she screws up because she says, uh, go back to Picard, even though uh, Dodge had not mentioned the name of Picard, which may, leads me to believe that it's not an AI because an AI wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily have made that mistake. But uh, right. uh, Alexa did in the previous scene. Yeah. Uh, well, what do you mean? Like, oh, you mean the mistake of not telling him the name of the painting when he asked for it the first time? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that would be the first thing that she would say. Yes. This is called daughter. Well, it would doesn't fit the dramatic moment. Uh, so, uh, yeah, Dodge does the uh, she reactivates her thing and does this search for Picard and finds out that he's in San Francisco at Starfleet headquarters in the uh, museum and archive. And uh, she shows up there uh, to his surprise. And so Picard tells her about data. Her her uh, idea of synths and and androids is that they're murder machines, which is you know mm-hmm. what people would feel like if after a, a synth attack, a, a, a android attack. And um, he tries to you know convince her that no, no, that you're something different. You're more than that. If you're especially if you're data's daughter, I I, I, I I like how Picard is trying to talk her into the idea that you're really a murder machine and it's OK um, <laughs> because she's 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 objecting. But I remember this thing that my dad did when I was a kid. And he's like, that's a very beautiful memory. And it's yours. And you're a murder machine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, it's a nice memory that someone created for you, but it's not real. Uh, the, um, of course, we know that. Data has had a quote unquote daughter before. Lol. We had that in uh, in uh, I forget which episode. Again, I'm not good with the, with the Data's titles. Daughter. Da- oh well, that would make sense. And uh, <laughs> she didn't work out, and uh, she ended up having a cascade failure at the end of the episode and being turned off. So apparently, did is this did Data? Uh, we'll, we'll have to address this as we get to toward the end of the episode, uh, the next right. part. But uh, um, is this is she? 
the data creator or did someone else do it from data's pattern? Uh, well, so by the way, the the episode with Lal is the offspring. The offspring. offspring. And and what they imply by the end of the episode is that Bruce Maddox, who was the guy that wanted to take data apart in yep. measure of a man. Yes. And that data kept in touch with um, in, in data's day. He became the head of the uh, synth division of the Daystrom Institute and was advocating an idea um, called neuronal cloning or something well, like that. Fractal neuronal cloning. Pin on that. Well, yeah. we put a pin on that until we get to that point of the episode. Because we're yeah, almost there anyways. But. Yeah, let's go okay, back. Okay, well, I was just, yeah. Dom raised the question, so I was going to put the pieces together, yeah. but okay. okay yeah, because uh, maybe there's uh, some other bits to, to say about it first. Well, so let's let's just cover the end of this where, like we mentioned before, uh, she realizes that the, the ninjas are coming back. They race to the top, to this roof of this building for some reason. I'm not sure where they're going when they go to the roof. Uh, oh, but sure how- that's, that's, that's such a Hollywood trope. If people are chasing you, you got to run to the roof. Yeah, well, go up the stairs because that's really easy to run an old man up the stairs. Uh, so they get up there. The, it turns out the, the attackers are either Vulcan or Romulan, but probably Romulan. Um, the last one that uh, Dodge takes down spits blood at her. He bites down and then no, spits it, it at it, her. It, it, he, it's, it's acid and it's a suicide right. thing he's right. doing to destroy his body and kill her. Yeah. Right. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. It's like he bites down on something in his mouth and spits it at kind her. Like- which kind of like hits the, her the, the, kind of like the stereotypical cyanide tablet for a, like a bond movie or something like that. Right. You know, uh, and the acid causes her to burn, but also ca- lands on the phaser rifle she's holding which causes it to explode, killing her uh, and throwing the 79 year old man across the roof yeah. from the concussion of the blast where he wakes up on the couch. It is home in France. Why is he not in a hospital? Why is he not being questioned by police? I don't know. This seems like a bit of a flaw in this in the in the script, but yeah, and they also the police apparently did investigate because they say that the security footage only reveals him. So right, and they speculate maybe Dodge and these Romulan agents had personal cloaking devices, but then you shouldn't have been able to see them. Right. And so it would be that sounds more like erasure of data from tapes or sensor cloaks like in the in the 24th century. They probably don't have cameras, per se, which record light photons hitting a, Mm -hmm. a, a sensor, but more like sensors that record the, you know, information about the environment. And they turn that into an image and they probably have some sort of sensor cloak. Thing. Uh, I'm thinking they record photons because photons are really good and easy things to record. That's why our eyes use them to learn about our environments. There, um, there are things today that people use to kind of block cameras from recording them. And, but when, instead of seeing nothing, what you see is a big bright uh, bur- it burns in the, the, the image yep. on a camera. Uh, it, the people can you wear it like a hat. You can wear it as a uh, shirt. And it because mm-hmm. people are, you know, about facial rec. So, uh, yeah. so this, I, I'm, my my point is, I'm guessing they're going to have better, not less, recording abilities in the future that are yeah. ubiquitous. Um, but what I really wanted to go is, I don't like Dodge being killed off this quickly. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Because I've just bonded with this character, and suddenly she's gone, and I'm saying to myself, this can't be the end of this character. They're going to do something. 
you know, she did a missy, she beamed out at that moment or something. Right. Um, but apparently that's not what they're doing. Apparently they're going to give us a twin sister. Right. And, and, and I do, I, this is, I think, a flaw in the writing. Um, mm-hmm. I have not bonded with the twin sister the way I bonded with Do- Dodge in this episode. I want to see Dodge live. And right. the twin sister is kind of a poor substitute to that. So I think this is a flaw in the writing. And Picard is going to have to rebuild uh, rapport with now the twin sister. Mm-hmm. He's going to have to, you know, go through this whole thing again about explain to her why, she, you know, that she's an AI and this whole other, other thing. And that's, yeah, you're right. I mean, it, uh, I, I was I was a little shocked. And I think that was the intention, the shock that they killed mm-hmm. this character off yeah. here. Ha- having said that, there are, you know, creative uses of twins. Um, like in, um, in the lost skeleton of Cadavera, you have the character Ranger Brad who dies and another character who, who dies. And so in the sequel, the lost skeleton returns again, you have their twins who are here. So instead of Ranger Brad, we've got Jungle Brad. (laughs) (laughs) So yes, we'll have a a twin here. So, uh, Picard is his experience here with, on, you know, with the, the rooftop and Dodge dying, gives him new resolve and he says, you know, sitting here all these years nursing my offended dignity, writing books of history people prefer prefer to forget. Uh he's decided that, you know, this means I have to get back in the game. I have to go find uh, you know, who killed Dodge and find answers to this. And so uh that leads him to go to the Daystrom Institute, which is apparently in Guam, I think they said. No, it's Okinawa. Okinawa, right, right, right. I'm sorry, my my bad South Pacific uh, uh, geography and so he goes and asks whether it's uh he t- sees this dr gerardi who apparently is going to be an ongoing character in the series so i should get agnes. her name right agnes gerardi and asks her whether it's possible to build a flesh and blood sentient android at which she laughs in his face and he goes oh yeah. you're serious i thought that was good i yeah. thought that was funny that, she, her character was great and she had yeah. some great lines with picard mm-hmm. it's like the short answer is no what's the long answer it's still going to be no and it's yes. like, here we're getting towards paying off that no i promised you yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. right that was good um she says that the we, we find out that the rogue synths that destroyed mars came from the daystrom institute and uh and that led to and the ban on rogue synths led to the shutdown of their lab and now they're only able to work in theory and simulations and write papers uh they're not yeah. allowed to build anything we see that they have b4 uh the uh the data prototype in a drawer in, in pieces mm-hmm. uh, that promise at the end of Star Trek nemesis that data downloaded his brain yeah. to him. And we're, we're, we're totally going to get data back. on that promise. Well, y- yeah. And f- I think part of it is because Brent Spiner said he would only come back to do his role in this. If they didn't undo data's sacrifice in nemesis in any way, mm-hmm. which is, I think is interesting. Uh, so they're I think they're honoring that promise in that sense. Um, they're un- they're undoing a bunch of beta canon because data did come back yep. in the uh, comics and novels and stuff. Right. Oh, there's yeah, lots exactly. of uh, novel stuff that's good. This is not like Lucasfilm where the novels are canon. This is a whole no. other a whole other realm. They're 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 quite happy with throwing all that stuff out when they want to. Uh, so data had tr- had tried to download his consciousness, but it was lost. So now B four is in a drawer, and no other synth has ever been like data. They said. Uh, whatever happened to Lore? He got so, dismantled. He's in a drawer too. Yeah, yeah. But he's still out there, and he's a functioning. Mm, he's well, a functioning. He, 
AI. No, no other AI was like data in that it didn't turn out stupid or evil or okay. dead. Right. That's true. All right. We, that, that, uh, that's a good qualification. Uh, yeah. I'm just curious whether lore is waiting out there to come back. Uh, it it's possible. It's yeah. possible. But, you know, uh, is it is he going to be a character we're going to see? I, I don't know. Or is it going to be more like B4? It's like, oh, by the way, below B4 here, you've got <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> his brother. <laughs> we like to mix and match the parts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so we so find about Bruce Maddox here. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And he's vanished. So yep. and the implication is he created Dodge and uh, Soji mm-hmm. using so- his neuronal cloning technique which Bra- is fractal neuronic the, cloning right yeah. so the idea is you take a single neuron from data's positronic matrix and you can rebuild the whole thing they mm-hmm. apparently operate on some kind of holographic principle that allows you to deduce the other neurons from a single one kind of like it's, you can build a whole organism from the genetic code in a single cell right yeah. and um this is like an electronic equivalent of that and so he's gotten a neuron from data's positronic matrix somehow, maybe out of B4. Or lore. Um, or, or data or um, lore. And right. he's used that to twin these uh, two new synths. And there's, a, there's an illusion that gets made in here that Agnes makes that it, it seems to imply you could do build new androids if it's based on data right because mm-hmm. he was proved to be stable um but you can't make any new androids by interstellar treaty for right. now and so so that may be the loophole through which these two um two synth uh daughters were created so mm. one, one thing i want to the reason why i wanted to put a pin on the, the whole thing about cloning because there's there's some things there that they kind of they kind of pass over and mention just kind of in passing that can actually talk about before and data and lore because in my it was, I was thinking about it is she said they have to be made as twins you yeah, know and lore. And of course all the all the since before that were made off as one ofs and that's why they couldn't replicate data so just kind of my my head theory if you want to call it head canon whatever so before was the first he didn't work because he was a single one. Mm-hmm. And then you have data and lore. So they're twins, actually, not older brother, younger brother, like lore said. But yeah. lore is the the dysfunctional twin where data was the perfect twin. Right. You know, so and, and that was that was the secret that soon found to create these androids was they have to be made as twins. And now Bruce Maddox is recreating that mm. with Soji and Dodge. Does it mean that you always have to have a that it always ends up with a good one and a bad one? Not necessarily, would, you know, maybe yeah. more because, you know, Laura's the first attempt and was a failed attempt. But then the programming, he was able to fix the programming for data. Right, right, right. Interesting. I, I, I think soon it's an interesting theory and we'll have to watch and see if they if they go that Play way. Play it out. Yeah, I, I think Sung himself, though. And Data's mom, who also turned out to be an android replacement in the end, mm-hmm. um, both of them confirmed that Data was built after Lore and was deliberately made less human than Lore because he was Lore was freaking out the colonists, mm-hmm. right? Without the emotion chip that he Correct. later gets, right, 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 right. It was the emotion chip that the, uh, the uh, in Lore that made him um, go Kooky. bad, yeah. Um, oh. Interesting. 
So but we'll have to see if they play that out. I mean, that's just something yeah, coming yeah, off my yeah. my head. So Picard now knows that there's another android out there, another da- data daughter out there. Uh, and then we cut to um, a Romulan bird of prey flying through space at the at a Romulan reclamation site. So you know, so mm-hmm. somewhere where the 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 uh, they're reclaiming something. The yes, yep. it is yes, exactly. Uh, and we have uh, this really cool bird of prey. I like the new bird of prey uh, yeah. uh, uh, ship uh, landing inside this base of some sort. Uh, we have this Romulan called Narak. I don't think his name is mentioned, but I looked it up. Um, who greets Dr. Yeah, he, he's mentioned. He, he introduced, introduced himself. himself. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, he greets Dr. Soji Asher, who works there. And she mentions she has a sister, but Dodge Dodge never mentioned that she had a sister, which you'd right. think when you're thinking I am an Android, but I have a sister. So how could like, like you'd think she would have mentioned that at some point. Well, she probably was planning to. And then Romulans attacked. Yeah, Romulan perhaps. Ninjas. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so she, they introduce each other. They have this connection. Um, he, Narek talks about how his brother died probably from the, the supernova. I'm sure every Romulan knows lots of people who died who didn't survive. Um, well, he says we lost him last year. Yeah, oh, did he? Year. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, uh, I missed that. And um, and then we have the, the, they kind of pull back, the camera pulls back as uh, uh, from the, the inside this place and we go out and we, as we pull back and get a, a full view, it's a Borg cube that they're in. Something that has like been damaged. That's so yeah. it's being held together partly by force fields or being built. Some... Well, it's it's reclamation site, so yeah. it's it's they're... they're not. I mean, they may be repairing it, but but it's it's. I think they're yeah. dismantling it. I think they got this board cube, and since um, Soji is supposed to be human, even though yeah. she's mm-hmm. not, this is some kind of joint Romulan human venture. To right. reclaim the right. tech from, from this Borg cube and presumably the people as well. Right, right. Uh, who are cyborgish, obviously. Yeah. Um, That's where ch- they get the name. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Uh, of course, we have Jerry Ryan. We know is coming back as Seven of Nine, and uh, uh, in some, in, in we've seen that there are other. Um, uh, who was it? Uh, Hugh will be back, Hugh. the former Borg. Mm-hmm. So we know that the Borg is going to are going to be a big part of this season. Um, so. And that's where we end things. So why would the Romulans want to kill Data's daughter? Be- because it, is, since, it was a right. Since bad. Since bad because they, they caused the deaths of so many Romulans, maybe? I don't know. Or maybe they're going to go something a little deeper than that. I, I'm thinking it's deeper. I, we got a lot of stuff. It, as all is, all is proceeding as I have foreseen. We have <laughs> um, Romulans, Synths, and, um, and Borg all piling on top of each other in this plot. Right. And I'm really interested to see where they're going to go with that. Okay. Uh, so that, and that's where we end things. We get a montage of, you know, coming up this season. I don't think we, unless there's something specific you no. guys want to mention, I don't know that we need no. to, but, but uh, so what, again, uh, any last thoughts on this episode, uh, Father Corey? A uh, couple of things. Uh, first of all, the, they they were pretty accurate on the uh, Enterprise D, where even the T glasses were the Bodium, same Bodium glasses they used on TNG. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so that was kind of cool to see. One thing I did notice in the um, cre- opening credits that they credited this as based on Star Trek: The Next Generation. Right. Every other s- 
spinoff from Star Trek has always been based on Star Trek. TNG, DS9, Voyager, uh, Enterprise, Discovery, all of them have been based off Star Trek. This they specifically said TNG. Mm. So that's, that's kind of, I mean, it was just kind of an interesting difference because they're, they're, they're usually pretty specific about things like that. This is unique in that it's the first one to be based directly on another series other than other than the original. Because, it, I mean, argue, it's a sequel. It's based, it's Picard. It's, it's a sequel to TNG. Yeah, but you could also argue that DS9 and Voyager were as well. I think it might. TNG era. I think it may be, you know, look, this is obviously tech. This is not Discovery. It doesn't look like Discovery. doesn't feel like Discovery. It's not J.J. Abrams, yeah. Star Trek. And so I think they're making that distinction is what you can expect from this series is something that follows like on from TNG. Right. And that's and that's my point. I mean, they're being yeah. very explicit. This is TNG. This is not start original series or anything like that. Okay. Um, Laris, the, the, the female uh, Romulan working for Picard, played by or- Orla Brady. And there's a Doctor Who connection here. <laughs> she was mm-hmm. the mother superior superior of the papal mainframe during the Matt Smith era. Oh, yeah. That's why she was familiar. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, Very nice. We got more Discovery Eras shuttles. Yeah, and that's it. Okay. Um, Jimmy, anything? I, I'm good. Uh, I just want to point out a couple of things, except for Calypso in the short treks, from the first season of short treks. This is the latest in the, in, in the future of any Star Trek filmed story. We've now so moved far. forward in time. Finally, uh, the the Chateau Picard was filmed in uh, Santa Ana's, California, at the Sunstone Winery, and the Daystrom Institute was the Sony Pictures Plaza, which is uh, interesting. Just some mm. little bits there. Um, yeah, the the T Earl Grey decaf line was written by Patrick Stewart, who insisted that there needs to be a <laughs> a scene where Picard uses a replicator to get a, a cup of tea, Earl Grey. So uh, I think that's about it. So um, I think that about wraps it up. The next episode is going to be called Maps and Legends, which is interesting. Uh, We don't have titles for all the episodes yet, but things are coming out little by little. Uh, So a a legend is part of a map that tells you how to read the map, but a legend is also a cover story identity for a spy. Mm -hmm. Yep. So that get multiple meanings there. Uh, mm-hmm. So we do want to take a moment as we wrap things up to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Bill B, Ron T, Darren H, Joseph P, and George G. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So, folks, tell us what you think of this series premiere of Star Trek Picard and any of the things we talked about. We'd love to hear your feedback, love to hear from you. You can give us feedback by going to sqpn.com slash trek and commenting on the show page there or uh, on Facebook at facebook.com slash Media, or just send us an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time, of course, when we'll be discussing the second episode of Picard the aforementioned maps and legends until then father Corey stika thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of star trek glad to be here and thank you dom and jimmy aiken thank you as well thanks dom and live long and prosper and once again i'm dom bettinelli thank you for listening to the secrets of star trek on star quest and remember 
be the captain they remember. 